0: From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. If you're a brand consultant for space, you know, the great abyss beyond the Earth, you've had a complicated few weeks. Travel to space, or at least near it, used to be the province of nation states battling for global supremacy. Now it could be seen as a rocket measuring contest between billionaires. But we can't let billionaires steal space too, and so we want to have a conversation with an expert panel and you about what the real future of space should be. But first, We'll check in on PG&E's new plan to bury power lines in areas most at threat from wildfire. That's all next on Forum, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. PG&E announced yesterday that it will bury power lines in high wildfire risk areas of California. That'll mean 10,000 miles of lines, enough to reach about halfway around the earth. The utility says the plan would also eliminate the need to order power shutdowns during high fire risk events. What are your questions about the announcement? Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866 733 6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or you can send us your questions by email at forum at kqed.org. Joining us to explain the ins and outs of undergrounding power lines is Scott Aronson. He's the Vice President of Security and Preparedness at the Edison Electric Institute, which represents investor-owned electric companies in the U.S. Welcome, Scott.
1: Good morning, Alexis. Thanks for having
0: me on. So I want to walk through some of the basics. I mean, the, the, the biggest one is Will this work? Is this possible to underground 10,000 miles of power lines?
1: It's certainly possible, but it's also certainly an audacious goal. I think as it was announced yesterday, uh, in my experience, I cannot think of a larger capital project uh, that includes uh, undergrounding that much line. But I will also say PG&E has some experience in undergrounding that many companies Companies do not. They have been doing pilot projects all throughout uh, the northern district uh, to deal with this high fire threat uh, region.
0: Yeah. I mean, just as recently as 2017, pg and was only doing 30 miles of undergrounding before they began this expansion. I mean, it, for other utilities, like what's the largest uh, project that you could think of?
1: So I can't think of a project as far as a substantial undergrounding of an existing overhead network that is even close to on par with this. The closest thing I can think of to dealing with uh, effectively a new threat uh, is uh, Florida Power and Light back in 2005, if if you're listening. And you remember, 2004 and 2005 were just extraordinary hurricane seasons uh, down in the southeast. And as a result, uh, Florida Power and Light took on an extraordinary effort to harden a lot of their infrastructure to uh, do flood mines to deploy smart meters, to change some of their operations and maintenance and some of their uh, response capabilities. But I'll also tell you, and this is sort of an important point about uh, the nature of undergrounding, they can underground much of their infrastructure in protection against hurricanes for a couple of reasons. One, the topography and geology of Florida just doesn't allow for it. Uh, and so they had to take a regional approach that made sense for them. Uh, and over the course of several years, this was a, a decade plus long project project, they completely hardened their infrastructure uh, to be better prepared for uh, their threat, which tends to be hurricanes. Uh, But uh, as we look at uh, Northern California and California broadly, uh, there's going to be a lot of different approaches uh, that are going to be taken, including undergrounding uh, as a way to mitigate uh, fire risk.
0: So when we talk about undergrounding, um, can you just, you know, on a basic technical level, how deep is the trend? Like, are we digging down uh, uh, a really long way? Do we use the same types of materials down there that we do with overhead uh, infrastructure?
1: So it is a little bit different. I don't know the particulars of uh, the construction process. I do know that uh, there have been updates and upgrades in the ability to bore long distances. Uh, I also know that it depends on, again, you'll hear me say this a bunch of geology and topography of the region. So if you're in an area with a high water table, you're not going to go very deep. If you're going through bedrock, it's going to make it more challenging. So I know this is always the cop out answer of it depends, but it it depends. (laughs) Um, One listener asks, um, if we put
0: existing lines below ground, can we keep the above ground lines to double the grid capacity? I'm guessing the answer to that is no, because of the other infrastructure around the lines. But but could we get more capacity out of our, our grid in this way as well?
1: So that's a fascinating question. I, I would say I'll, I'll give you the it depends again. But, but the answer really is the decision to go underground, particularly for these 10,000 miles, is because the fire risk is so great uh, in those areas that the, the calculus of is it worth the cost of putting it underground? And if so, uh, then we're going to take that uh, we're going to take that project on sort of by definition says that we don't want to have the lines above ground now in some places to increase redundancy uh, in some places where maybe the fire risk is not as great, but we also have, uh, you know, but but we also have the opportunity to increase capacity that may be a part of the decision making process as this evolves.
0: Mm. So we know that lots of European countries have underground um, power systems. And Beth writes, uh, and also other places in the U.S., um, Beth writes, why has it taken PG&E so long to do this from September 9th, 2015 until October 1st, 2015? We endured hell here in Calaveras County because of the Butte fire caused by PG&E power lines that touched untrimmed trees. We have friends and neighbors who six years later have not rebuilt because homeowners and property insurance rates soared or have become unavailable. I understand you're not PG&E and, and can't uh, speak for them. But one thing that I wanted to to ask about this is when a utility is changing a major infrastructure project like this, uh, how do they go about financing something? Because I'm guessing that cost is the primary reason why this hasn't happened yet.
1: Well, there's a there's a few answers to that. Yes, cost is part of it. But I I think we'll see as far as how this is going to be financed is an open and transparent regulatory process. Uh, that will dictate the best way to finance uh, this this capital project. The second part of that though is uh, with respect to the threat, look, the risk has changed. Uh, Climate change uh, has increased the severity of storms and drought and wildfires. Couple that with some of the advances that have been made in the ability to underground in a more cost-effective way. And then the last thing I would say is given all of the different tools that companies have in their toolbox. Undergrounding being one of them, but it by itself is not a panacea. Looking at things like microgrids, looking at better system segmentation, looking at enhanced vegetation management, all of those have costs associated with them also. And so the uh, cost-benefit analysis of does undergrounding make sense, given all of these other costs that we may incur, the answer is becoming yes. And, and then the last part is with pg and specifically, I can simply say they have a new leadership team and they're plotting a new course uh, for the company with, uh, they're bringing great operational expertise to the challenge and they have made the decision that uh, undergrounding uh, for the purposes of protection of life and safety and property, coupled with all of the other capital improvements that they're making to their system, that this is the right time to take on such a, an extraordinary project.
0: Yeah, uh, you know, Michael uh, tweets. It seems to me that to have underground power lines in mountainous country, pg and will have to blast through solid rock because there just isn't enough dirt to dig a trench. So, how realistic is this? The second question is the one I want you to address, though. Can pg and get any money from Biden's infrastructure bill for this? Has have has the infrastructure bill um, helped utilities with this kind of um, with this kind of upgrade?
1: You know, there is an interest here on Capitol Hill. I'm talking to you from Washington, DC. Uh, there's interest here on Capitol Hill uh, to uh, make all of the nation's most critical infrastructure more resilient. Uh, that may be true, uh, that's true of, of the uh, energy grid, that's true of gas and water infrastructure, that's true of our roads and highways and all of that. So uh, there is definitely a role to play from federal financing, in addition to just sort of traditional uh, approaches to, uh, that, that electric companies take to finance uh, these these capital projects. Again, an open process. And, and I'm certain that uh, PG&E and frankly, all of the companies uh, across the West who are dealing with uh, increased fire threats are looking at different ways to uh, improve and harden their infrastructure.
0: So I think PG&E's cost estimate was north of $15 billion. And I, I think my question and probably a lot of listeners' question is, can we trust an estimate like this? Um, you know, you're Institute put out a report on undergrounding that we were looking at yesterday. And one of the things we noticed was just that the cost seems to vary tremendously. Um, and so it seems very difficult to, to pin the number down. How, how would you think about a cost estimate like this and, and how, you know, uh, the rate base of PG&E should be thinking about this
1: estimate? So a couple of things there. It's a range, uh, and it's got to be a range, uh, because as your caller noted, uh, going through bedrock, uh, going through more urban areas, going through really remote and and difficult terrain uh, in some of the forested areas, all of that is just a huge challenge. So it's really hard to pin a number down. I will say the scale that PG&E is able to bring to this challenge is really impressive and the experience they've got from their pilot undergrounding projects as well as the ability to bring additional kind of operational uh, experience to the undergrounding process should continue to drive costs down over time. Uh, I think that report that you're referring to It's a little bit outdated only because uh, so much has been gained in the ability to bore long distances Mm -hmm. uh, just in the last 10 years that I think that's going to have an impact on the cost estimates as well.
0: And it is worth noting PG&E says they've already seen that they're able to drive the cost down when they're doing more undergrounding. Um, Carolee writes, what will the impact of underground power systems be on wildlife and the environment?
1: You know, I'm not equipped to answer that except to say I think the process of burying them uh, because these are uh, invasive projects where you're going and literally digging uh, is not going, is going to have its challenges associated with it, although environmental impact statements and all of that work that goes into making sure it's as minimal impact to wildlife as possible uh, will be there. You couple that with the fact that you will not have power lines above ground, ultimately, I might argue that it is going to be better for uh, the uh, you know, wildlife and, and uh, general scenic beauty of, of the region.
0: You know, from a um, maintenance of the infrastructure perspective, um, are there any downsides to undergrounding that listeners should be aware of?
1: There absolutely are. When you put power lines underground, when something does go wrong, it's just simply harder to fix it. Uh, we have examples from all over the country of uh, buried power lines usually in cities uh, a city that might flood uh, and when uh, you have that kind of catastrophic flooding you've got to wait for the water to recede you have to find where your faults are you have to get underground it's just not as simple as you know restringing wire and resetting some poles when they come down from a Windstorm, for example. Um, you know, I would also note that you're in a part of the country that suffers a lot of uh, earthquakes. And so while the fire risk is more imminent, and that is why the risk decision was made by PG&E to bury 10,000 miles of line, uh, should there be an earthquake that's going to challenge them to be able to restore uh, even more efficiently and, and quickly.
0: Yeah. We've been talking about PG&E's announcement that it will bury 10,000 miles of California power lines with Scott Aronson, Vice President of Security and Preparedness at the Edison Electric Institute. We'll be back with more Forum after the break, talking about space.
1: with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.